You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Dirty Church. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and get ready to study God's Word together. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Jeff. I have the honor of being uh, the guy who gets to teach the Bible here. So um, I want you to open your Bible, if you have one, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. You know, I get asked from time to time uh, from people, uh, how, how do you come up with your sermons one guy actually said to me, do you just kind of stand up there and start talking? And I said, yeah, it's a pastor, right? You only work one day a week, right? Barely that. You preach a couple of sermons, go home and sleep. And the rest of the week, you just hang out and play golf. Not actually the case, but uh, the way that I go about uh, studying the Bible, so if I were going to give you advice about how to study scripture. And I would give you advice. I would say, listen, it, here's, here's the way that you can actually guard yourself from false teaching is to read the Bible in its context. Um, so what you need to do is you need to sit down with a, a, so the scriptures, pick your little section that you're going to be reading. And then when you're reading it, you have to ask a whole bunch of questions about the passage itself. Write them down. And then you're going to go back and you're going to uh, answer those questions. They might be questions like, who is this person? It says someone here. Who is someone? And then you have to look in the context to find out who the someone is. If there are issues there that you don't understand. It's talking about meat sacrificed to idols. Like, I've never heard of that in my life. What in the world is this? And then you write that down, and then you go and you try to figure out what it was. Sometimes you get help from commentaries and other things like that. But usually, most of the questions can be answered just in the context the problem that most Christian people have is that they think that the Bible was written to them instead of for them. It's a difference. The Bible was written to a particular audience at a particular time. And in order to understand what that passage means, you need to understand what it was like for them in that particular time. But it was written for us, for our benefit. So there is a move that you make by saying, okay, I'm going to study this passage and see what it says in its context. And then there's a move that you make after that saying, all right, what then applies to us in this particular time? What principles are in this passage that are forever principles, theological principles, and how do they apply in the stuff that we're facing? That's what I want to, I actually want to do a little Bible study with you today. And I want to do it in that order. I, I want to, what we're going to do is we're actually dive into this passage and I'm trying to explain it in its context. And then in the second half, I'm going to ask, okay, so what kinds of principles do we learn from this passage? And where do those principles apply in the areas of our, of our lives? So it's a very straightforward kind of outline. We're going to study the passage, and then I'm going to give you four applications from principles I think you'll see in the passage itself, okay? So here we go. We're going to look at the passage itself. We're going to sit down there, ready to go. Lord, help us, we say. And here's our Bible study, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, sorry, chapter 10, verse 24. All things are lawful, says the Apostle Paul, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. You see how they've put this in quotation marks, right? This is a Corinthian saying. It's, 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 it's something that they probably would have put on the wall of their church. You know how at the end of our services we, we tell you, you, you are loved? That, that's a harvest mantra. It's absolutely true. You are loved. The Corinthians would have had a few other ones, and one of them was this. All things are lawful because they believe that the most important thing that you needed to know as a Christian is that you are free to live your life the way that you want to live it as long as it's not sin against God. So they had come, many of them from Jewish backgrounds and many had come from, uh, from Roman religious backgrounds where 
Every little issue of your life was just nitpicked like crazy. If the way you spend your money, the way that you dress, the way that you all that stuff was all, you had to do it exactly this way in order for the gods to like you. But they had come away and they had said, oh my goodness, one of the beauties of Christianity is that you can, you can have so much freedom. God has a law and you are supposed to keep that law, right? But the law is, is in principle, right? Don't be greedy, things like that. But we, the way that we work that out can be different between all of us. And they love that. Oh, it's so great to be a Christian. We are completely free. But you can see how that kind of slogan put on the wall of your church could go wrong, right? All things are lawful. All things are open to your freedom. I had a friend... When I was in college, he went to a university called uh, Seattle Pacific University, and on Seattle Pacific, SPU is on the, on the side of a hill. It was a, it was a kind of a Christian school at that time, and I was going to school at the University of Washington just a little, bit, little ways away, and he said, you want to get together, we'll have some coffee. Cool. Get together, go have coffee. Uh, we're coming back to his dorm, and in order to get back to his dorm, he had to come down this massive long hill, and on the bottom was a stop sign. And so he's coming down the hill, you know, driving the speed of a college student, right? And then he just, he wouldn't, he wasn't decelerating. He didn't pull his foot off of the trigger there. He just kind of kept, kept going and boom, right through the stop sign. And I looked at him, what are you doing? He said, brother, I am free in Christ. <laughs> now, is it true that he is free in Christ? Well, Yeah. But you can see how that language can start to make it so that you do things that are actually not beneficial or not going to be helpful to the life of the passenger sitting next to you. All things are lawful, but Paul says, not, look, not everything is going to be helpful. And he doesn't, in this context, mean just helpful for, for me. He says that early in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, not everything is going to be helpful for me. Okay, so you need to be thinking about the kinds of things that you're doing in your life that, yes, are you allowed to do it? Uh-huh, but is it helping you and helping you to follow Jesus is what he means. First Corinthians 6, he talks about it personally, but here he's talking about it corporately. Not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. So yes, you have these freedoms, but you need to be thinking about how those freedoms affect the people who you're around. He comes right out and says it. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This is like the fundamental Christian teaching. That if you are a follower of Christ, what it ends up happening to you is that you end up focusing not just on the things that pertain to you and your needs and your uh, likes or dislikes, pandering to whatever it is that you feel in a given moment. The focus is on them. And so Paul is really, really adamant about this. Um, what he's talking about here, though, is a category, and we brought this up weeks ago, a category that theologians call adiaphora. Uh, what he's referring to, this, is, this word basically means uh, the, the things that are neither right nor wrong, it's not stuff that you do that's against God's law. It's the stuff that's kind of, meh. In our, in our setting, we've got lots of them. Uh, do you drink alcohol? In a lot of churches in ages gone by, that's, that, that's been the thing. If you're from a Southern Baptist background, the fact that I just said the word alcohol sent shivers down your spine. Like you're like, never. Nope, Jesus never drank either. And the alcohol that he turned, you know, the, the wine wasn't wine. It was grape juice. And I know it. So if you were to be in that setting and you were to go and you were to drink something, that they would think, oh my goodness, you're, you're wicked. Um, clothing, people get upset about the way that uh, you, you dress. I remember Dallas Seminary, there, were these, there was these buses of uh, people who were from very conservative backgrounds and there were women who were walking across our campus wearing, wearing pants, okay? The horror. And... These people were in their buses. They got out and they picketed Dallas Seminary, which is like a massive conservative school. So it was like the really, really uber conservative 
picketing the conservatives. And every time a woman would walk, walk by in pants, they'd yell the worst things about the woman. <laughs> it was terrible. Because how dare you wear pants like a man? Where's your skirt? But not too short. Sure, your skirt goes down to your ankles because, you know, you don't want anyone seeing those ankles. That's what it looks like to be holy. Is that in God's law? Eh, no. What's in God's law? Uh, modesty? Yes, but we get to define what's modest. Do you, though? Or is this just a, isn't this just a category of adiaphora? It's kind of up to you. The Easter bunny, just because Easter's coming up, I, I know people who, you know, like if you took the, them on an egg hunt and, and you said, why, why are you doing the egg hunt? Well, because the Easter bunny. Oh my, oh my goodness, that's the worst possible thing. My, my wife, when she was working at a, at a Hallmark store, a whole lot of stories from that, but she was working at a Hallmark store. She had to actually be the Easter bunny one Easter and dress up in the massive Easter bunny and kids would come in and soil themselves on her and things. Because, you know, the crossover, it used to be Santa was the only one who did that. And now it's the Easter Bunny comes over and you can sit on his slash her lap. But there are people who are Christians who are like, oh my goodness, you were, at, you were the Easter Bunny? It's pagan. Don't you understand? It's pagan. You should never have Easter Bunnies or eggs or blah, all those sorts of things involved in the celebration of Christ's resurrection. Well, does, does it say that in Scripture somewhere? No, but it kind of intones it. Or is this more of an idea for It's just something that is neither right nor 100% wrong. I'll tell you, the biggest one that people are dealing with these days is uh, what you buy and what you don't buy. Uh, where you buy it from, where you don't buy it from. You bought it from that company? Don't you know that they support this particular thing? Oh my goodness, I, no, I didn't know that. Well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't buy it from there. Where should I buy it from? The Mr. Pillow guy. He's the only one you can buy it from, right? Like, <laughs> but am I free to buy something from Walmart or Target? Am I, am I free to buy something from a company or get service from a company that doesn't support necessarily my politics or my belief system? Some people will say, well, if you're a good Christian, you won't. But others will be like, I mean, guys, it's in the idea for I, I, What kind of car do you want to own? There's a Christian leader years ago who said, you know, uh, it is a sin to own a BMW, right? I'm like, no, brother, it's a sin to own a Ford. Don't you know? Like that... <laughs> I'm kidding. But, you know, there's some cars that are just too fancy. It's just too fancy. And if you have too much of that car, or if you have a house that's more than 2,500 square feet, because that's the Jesus number, 2,500 square feet. And it, we fight about all this stuff, and it's just all idea for. And this is what Paul's talking about. You have freedoms. The beauty of Christianity is you have freedoms to do all this stuff. But... It shouldn't just be you involved in it. You should be thinking about how this is going to influence your, your neighbor. Now, he's going to get into the specific issue that they're dealing with, right? They're not dealing with clothing or these. They are dealing with what it is that you, you can eat, though, okay? He says, okay, so eat whatever is sold in, in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. So, little background, what we're dealing with in this passage and this entire section from 1 Corinthians 8 until here is a discussion that the Corinthians had because there were people in their congregation who were going out and they were eating meals that were actually dedications to a deity, right? So, so a temple would be hosting a feast and these Christians were going... Listen, the idol that they're worshiping is meaningless and stupid, so I'm going to go and get the meat because I dig it, right? It's not a worship service for me, but I can still go to it. Paul actually comes into this section and eventually says, actually, when you go that, even though there's the idol's nothing, and even though, yes, there's only one true God, there is a spiritual presence behind that. There's like a demonic presence behind that. And you, as a Christian, should not be tying your a faith in Jesus, your commitment and allegiance to Jesus, to an allegiance to a demon. So stay away from those things. But that's not the only place that the meat was offered, guys. 
Meat would be offered, but then some would be left over, and then they'd put it into the meat market. So it'd be a little ways away, and they'd, you know, take a little trolley down there, and they'd dump it off. And if you wanted to eat meat that night, you want to get a good T-bone, and you walk up there, and you say, I want that T-bone. All right, here you go. You know that it's probably come from the temple just over there. So what do we do about that, Paul, says the church? Like, is that bad to eat? What if an unbeliever asks us to go to their house? Do I need to investigate what's going on in the kitchen back there? Do I, do I need to a- ask the, the litany of questions that will determine the history of this piece of meat? What's the grandfather of this cow, wicked? Do, like, what do I have to do here? And then what if I go to a, someone's house and like it's an unbeliever and they're asking questions. Like, somebody tells me what it is. I mean, it's one thing if I don't know about it, but what if they tell me? You can see the challenges that they were having with this particular thing. So Paul kind of lists out, okay, so here's some, here's some advice slash uh, apostolic command about this. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So the first question, look, if you're going to go to the meat, get the T-bone. Listen, you, you, you don't need to go and find out where it came from. It's okay. Why? Well, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's a quote from Psalm 21. It's a quote, actually, that they used to say at the beginning of Jewish prayers. And the prayer would, would be, Lord, thank you for the meal before us. We say this sometimes, right? And the hands of prepare it and these sorts of things. But the Jewish people say, thank you that everything that is now sitting before us is a product of God's creative power. That the whole earth was made by God and therefore he owns it. And because he owns it, it doesn't really matter. This is Paul's point here. It doesn't really matter if someone took what God owns, goes over and worships an idol with it because he's like, whatever. It's God's. It was always God's. While they're doing their worshiping, God himself is actually sustaining the molecules of their bodies. It's all God. So look, you don't need to, you don't need to look for the background of the, of the meat. For the earth is the Lord's and the, and the fullness thereof. Can I just do an aside really, really quickly? Uh, man, this day and age, it's getting more and more that, that Christians and others in our society want to dictate what you eat and don't eat because there's some spiritual things to eat and some non-spiritual things to eat. Yes? No? I mean, like, seriously, I've heard lots and lots of people are making lots and lots of money off of the Daniel diet. Does anyone know that some of you are on the Daniel diet? Uh, it's just vegetables. Remember Daniel? He said, I'm not going to eat the meat. I'm going to eat the vegetables. And God blessed him, which is what happens when you only eat vegetables, I guess. Um, also, hey, hey, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, what did they eat? A lot of fruit. You should eat only fruit. See how that goes for you, <laughs> right? Keep you around the bathroom. So you can only eat fruit. See, it's in the Bible. It's only eat fruit. You can only, only eat vegetables. There's, a, there's actually a, a company, and I only bring it up because I used to have a box of cereal on my, on my counter that my, some friends gave me because I always like geek out on Christian kitsch stuff. And this one is, is a box that you can, you can actually go to the store. It, it's a company called Ezekiel. Well, it, it's a company called Food for Life, but one of their big products is Ezekiel 4.9 Breads and Cereals, okay? Now, they're basing what they're making on Ezekiel 4.9. Here's what Ezekiel 4.9 says. And you take, here we go, wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and emmer. Got to keep that emmer, guys. I don't know what that is. It might be toenails. I don't know. And, and, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread for them. You, that's from God. So if you guys are eating non-bean bread... That's not what the Lord wants. This, this bread, they say, is the best bread because God gave, uh, gave it. And, of course, in the context here, this is all an act of judgment on God. He also, but they don't read the verse a couple later, right? They say, you should absolutely make this. This is a command from the Lord. But they don't realize a couple verses later that um, this is how you're supposed to make it. And you shall eat it as barley cake, baking it in their own sight on their on human dung. So, I, I, I don't know if that's how they make it. Prob- probably. Is how they make it. But you could look, the, the point I'm making is that it, 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You, you can eat whatever you want. Eat what you like. Now, there's some stuff that's not going to make you as healthy as other stuff. Yes, and that's why you shouldn't eat it because your temple, body's temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but that's your idea for it. Don't take that, lift it up, and place it on everyone else. Don't just say that everyone needs to now eat exactly the way that, that you do. There's no holy food, which is great. You can eat steak. When they make us eat bugs, you can love the bugs. You can eat the bugs, right? The grasshoppers and the centipedes and all the other stuff. You can eat your Snickers bar, praise God. Do not eat the kale. I'm, seriously, don't eat. Someone says to you, this has been off offered in sacrifice, don't eat it. Oh, this is the third example. So there's the example of, hey, you just go to the meat market, you get it. You don't need to find out what, what it is, uh, where it came from. There's the one of where you're actually going to uh, someone's house and uh, they, they, you don't know what they're serving you. It's probably sacrifice to model, but, but you don't know. But then there's the third one. If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I, I, I don't mean your conscience, but, but his. Who's this? The context here just previously was, all right, so you go to an unbeliever's house, and they're going to offer you the meat, and if they offer you the meat, and you don't, nobody says anything about it, just eat it, because that's nice, right? But what if someone says something to you? What should you do? Who's the someone? Look, if the someone were the host that he's talking about here, he would have mentioned that it's the host. We just said a couple of verses later, you, did, you, don't, you don't say, hey, this Joe invited me over and then someone at the place told me this. <laughs> You'd say, Joe told you this. So it's not the host. Is it another Christian maybe who came, who came with you to the non-Christian party? But what we find out then is that this Christian's got a weak conscience. They don't want to mingle with the food that's sacrificed to idols. So why would they even be there? There's a real danger for them. They probably wouldn't be there. And in fact, this phrase here, offered in sacrifice, there are two different words that you can use for that. There is a word that's what we call pejorative, meaning that it's negative, and the Greek word is like, you know, it's a word that, 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 that a certain newspapers will use against their political opponents, right? They attacked him. They assaulted him. And then there's the word that is more kind of just neutral, no, they, they approached him. This word is from the, the Greek non-pejorative word in Greek. You, so in other words, what he's saying here is that uh, this is not a word that Jews or, or, or Christians use to talk about um, meat sacrifice to idols. <laughs> this is a word that the Greeks used, and it was a more positive connotation. In other words, this is a word that a Greek unbeliever probably would have used. So who, who's someone? It's probably a Greek unbeliever. So here's the scene. You're sitting at the dinner table. You've been invited by Tony, the unbelieving friend you have at work. He invites you over. You and your spouse are there. All unbelievers around. Food starts getting passed around. And the person who's sitting next to you, either out of kindness to you, hey, did you know that this meat was sacrificed to idols? I know you're a Christian. Did you know that? Or out of pride, did you know that this meat right here was sacrificed to Artemis? I mean, so it's special meat. We don't know, but you find out. You find out that it is sacrificed to an idol. What Paul says here is don't eat it. Don't eat it. Well, why not? Well, for the sake of the one who informed you. What do you mean for the sake of the one who informed you? Uh, you don't want to cloud in their mind what it means to follow Jesus. If you sit there and you say, oh no, it's fine, I'll eat it. They'll think that it's okay for a Christian to both worship an idol and worship Jesus. 
Are you worshiping an idol by eating it? No, you're free to eat it, but you need to be thinking in your freedom. How is this going to affect this guy and what they think about what it means to follow Christ? Am I putting a blockage, a stumbling block, an offense in their way so that they aren't clear about what it means to follow Christ? So, don't eat it for the sake of clarity, basically. I don't mean your conscience, but his. Look, also, why, why would my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Like, why would I want to be putting myself in a situation where one of my freedoms, right, to eat this meat is going to make, everyone's going to look down on me. Like, I don't like going into places where everyone's going to look down on me. Why would I put myself in a situation like that? Or if I partake it with thankfulness, why am I denounced for what I, that which I give thanks? So for their sake, and you also don't want to be putting yourself in a situation, just don't eat it if you know about it. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, this is rules for life. Do everything to the glory of God. Give no offense. Uh, when you and I read that, we're like, yeah, be nice to everyone. That's not what he means. He means don't put a stumbling block in front of their way to Jesus. And a stumbling block on their way to Jesus might be a lack of clarity about what it means to follow him. So give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church. No matter if they're Christians, Jewish background, Gentiles, it doesn't matter where they're from. Everything that you and I do is for the glory of God and the clarification of the gospel. I try to please everyone, not, not in a sense that, oh, nice, nice. Again, in a sense that I want to make sure that you don't, you're not misunderstanding things. I want to please you in the sense that if you take on what I'm doing, you're, you're going to be pleased in Christ. I try to please everyone in what I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Fo follow my footsteps here, right? Right, so we're done with our reading and background of the passage. What about us? It was written to them, but it was written for us. So what do we say about what's for us. Well, I got four applications here. And you can test whether or not I've done my study right. You see if these are not applications that you found in that passage that we just read. Number one, live free, baby. Live free. I made a pretty big deal of this because I want you to see that throughout this entire section, Paul has a really big category of Christian freedom. Huge category of Christian freedom. He agrees with them when he said, they say all things are lawful. He's just saying, hey, look, that can be taken too far if you just focus on what it's doing for you. Eat what you want. The earth is the Lord's. You have massive freedom to do all sorts of things. Okay, I, I got to show you something really important. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, and even around the time of Jesus, the Jewish leaders, especially the Pharisees, they, uh, they saw themselves as the protector of the law of God, right? So the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, eat, God's before me, you know what I mean? All of those sorts of things. So he, they've got this law. And sometimes the law would say something like, uh, don't, don't, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. Now Sabbath would start on an evening of a Friday, right? A, a sundown. And go all the way through. And you were supposed to do any work. You're all the way through the evening of a Saturday. So they would say, okay, that's the law. Keep the Sabbath day holy. If you, if, you, if you were out and doing work on the Sabbath, you would have transgressed the law of God. But, listen, I don't want you to be in a situation where you get near transgression of the law of God. So here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to build a fence around the law. <coughs> so... I know it says be, be home by sundown, but I don't know, you don't want to be stuck out there with, a, you know, a broken down carriage wheel or something. So why don't we say that you get home at two? Two? Okay, two. That's the, that's the, that's the law now. But is it? Is that the law? 
No, it's not the law. It's, it's, the, it's the fence around the law, but it's not the law itself. The law itself is don't you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. But they've said, no, 2 p.m. Now, if you're out at 3 p.m., have you broken God's law? No. Still light out. But everyone around you is like, ooh, cutting it close there, right? I mean, if you really loved God, you'd be home at maybe noon, right? Hey, we're doing this for your good. We don't want you to break the law of God and incur his wrath and judgment. So what we're going to do is say, this is the new law. Oh, this happens so much in our Christian circles. So frequently. I served in a Mennonite church or a church with Mennonite background. I'm not Mennonite. It was actually quite fun. Everybody has the same last name. Uh, and it, it, uh, it's, it's hard, right? Do you know John Newfeld? Yes, I think so. I know eight of them. Which John Newfield are you talking about? Mm, the one with the white hair? No, I don't. Anyway, the Mennonites have this uh, joke. Mennonites are really, really conservative. Uh, if you went dancing, for example, <laughs> that would, would have historically been a no-no. I think it's okay in some circles now. But Mennonites were like, no, no dancing. Uh, they're also sometimes considered really cheap, right? They like to save a buck, pinch their pennies. So uh, there's a joke uh, what is the greatest Me Mennonite dilemma? Free dance lessons. <laughs> but you can see the challenge that the Mennonites are having. They're like, look, the law says uh, sexual immorality. Keep away from sexual immorality. Okay? But you know that the likelihood of you having sexual immorality is like increased if you start doing the slow dance, Right? Or the Macarena, or whatever it is you're going to do. The gritty. All of that sexual movement and stuff. The next thing you know, you're just you're in bed with somebody. So look, why don't we just not dance at all? Right? That's, that should be the new rule. That's the law. And if you dance, you don't love Jesus because you're, you're getting close to infringing the law. Don't you see? We're doing this for your good. Now I got to cut loose, foot loose. Right? This is, this is the movie. Is it okay for you to dance? Of course. That's part of your idea for it. Sure. But some people want to make the fence the law. And Paul is so like, no! You're free. All things are lawful. You're free to do this. <laughs> uh, I knew a guy who told me about his upbringing in a very conservative Baptist church. And he said their pastor, on Saturday nights, it was okay for them. To, they, they would go out. And the thing that they would do is go out and see the movies in the theaters. But you know, sometimes the movies in the theaters have scenes that you can't dictate or whatever. And so their pastor was adamant that if you really want to love Jesus, you won't go to the movies, right? Because the law is, again, uh, lusting. Don't lust. But you're going to lust a lot more in a movie theater if you're watching some racy scene. So just to be safe, you don't go to any movies. So he would, no kidding, the pastor on the Saturday night would go out and sit in his car by the local movie theater. And he would write down every kid in the congregation who went to the movies and adults. And he would get up and he would have a special designated five to ten minutes before the sermon where he would read out the names of the people going to the movies. Don't you see your wickedness? Don't you see how you're getting close to transgressing the law? And Paul would be like, ah, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're not some pagan religious cult where every little thing is listed at the idea for a man. There's a church that I used to live near, in fact, that their concern was uh, they, they want everyone to obey God's rules regarding uh, not being greedy and being generous in their giving. And so the church said, look, um, in order for us to protect that law and for you to give the right amount to the church and in order for you not to outlive, you know, to not, not to spend too much money, what we need you to do is to sign your paycheck over to the church, direct deposit it to the church, and then we will tell you how much you get. That way you're safe from greed. 
So I'd like to announce a new program here at, Har at Harvest. What are, you, what are they doing? Well, we can't trust you to spend the money that you've got. We've got to be over, look over it because we're doing this for your good. Do you understand? We're doing it for your good. No, you're not. You're doing it because you're a legalist and you like to have your opinions about everything and make everyone account out of your opinion. That, that's why you're doing it. Some Christians think all others should kowtow to their sensitivities. They want to define the fences more broadly than the Lord Jesus himself. So listen very closely to me. If you are doing this in any area, stop it. Stop it. Have the category of freedom and idea for that Paul has. You don't need to control everybody else. You can let them live their lives. They stand before God. And if you're somebody who is affected by this, because you're looking at Instagram and you're saying, oh my goodness, I must be a worse Christian because, you know, I'm not doing the things they're doing or these people over here, are, they, they've got all their kids in homeschool and she, you know, bakes pies every single day and her husband loves it. Their house is completely clean. That's what I want to be like. And she's like, well, if you love Jesus, then you would be like this. Don't let her influence the way that you live. Jesus loves a messy, dumpy house, man. It doesn't say anything about your character. Amen. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> it's okay. Adiaphora. Your freedom. Your freedom. Second. In your freedom, build up. Yes, the first thing I just said was all about you and your freedoms and stuff. Now, the danger is that you're going to say, look, I have all of these awesome freedoms. Look at me. Don't you dare try to tell me, which is what I just said. Hey, don't do that if you're somebody who's, you know, don't try to curb everybody else's things. But if you have a particular freedom, it's not just, I'm totally free to do whatever I want. It is, how is my use of this freedom going to affect this other person? Whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, am I, by using this freedom in their midst, am I putting a barrier between them and Jesus? Am I making it hard for them to know and be clear about what it looks like to be a follower of, of Christ Jesus? Because li listen, like I said, the heart of Christian living is showing love to our brothers and sisters and all others. Matthew chapter 20 is one of my favorite little stories in the Bible. Um, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Jimmy and Johnny. And their mama. They came up to him, him being Jesus. And kneeling before him, right? They show him the appropriate regard. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what, what is it that you want, ma'am? And she said to him, I want you to say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Can you give them the best two seats in the kingdom, the most authority seats? Don't you love this one? Tiger mama, man, she's in there, right? She's in there. I'm going to get this for you, boys. Don't you worry. And Jesus said, uh, I don't think you know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm... So, because here's the thing. In my kingdom, the way you get the glory is through the suffering. So if you want to be a right hand and left hand, <laughs> that's a lot of suffering, you know. I don't think you can drink the cup that I'm going to be drink. Oh, yes, we are. Now give us that cup. We're ready to take it as long as it means that we can rule over everyone else. And then he said, oh, you're going to drink my cup, all right. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to grant. It's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Now, when the ten heard it, the other disciples, your mom did what for you? They were jealous because they thought, I should have got my mom. No, they were indignant at the two brothers. What are you doing? 
Why are you doing this? If you want to be a man, you go ask him himself. And when you're there, I'm going to stand by you and explain to you him why I should be at the right and the left. Not you, Jimmy. Jesus called to them and said, look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Look, even the Son of Man. He's like a member of the Trinity. God of very God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look, this is all over the place in the Bible. It's the idea that, look, whatever you have, whatever freedoms you have, whatever goals and dreams that you have for your popularity or whatever, the goal Christians have, the power that Christians have, the authority that Christians have is to be used for the benefit of others, not themselves. The mark of a great Christian isn't knowledge or power or influence or notoriety. The mark... Mark of a great Christian is love. It's love. We're free, but we can use our freedom in love. Great example of this is a guy I used to work with a number of years ago. He was a wine connoisseur. He had like a wine cellar. He had a bunch of wine in his house. He was a pastor at our church, right? And the church that we were at was like kind of very conservative. And so he, he never made a deal about his wine collection. He didn't talk about it publicly or anything. And he told me, I said, why aren't... If you're such a wine connoisseur, why don't you just have wine? I'm at dinner with him out, out, in the, out on the town one day. And I said, why, why don't you have a glass of wine? Uh, he's, oh, yes, and I love the wine at this location. And he said, you know what? I decided a long time ago that I have the freedom to drink wine. I drink it with my wife. We go on wine tours. We, do, we take trips to, to have wine. But I know that the people in this particular church are really going to recoil if they saw me, their pastor, sitting out and drinking this wine. So you know what? I've just decided I can pass by the wine at the restaurant and have it at home because it's going to benefit them. Yes, brother. Didn't lose, listen, he didn't lose his freedom, but he thought about how his freedom was going to be used to benefit others. Third, don't impede people from knowing Jesus. Paul's adamant that we not put stumbling blocks up, particularly for unbelievers in this context. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense. And like I said, the offense, is that, that word is being used to say, don't put anything up in front of them so that they will misunderstand what the gospel is and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And he gives us an example in this passage. He gives us an example in this passage of exactly what it looks like to put a barrier up in front of an unbeliever in their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. But if someone says to you, remember, it's an unbeliever sitting next to you at the, at the meal. This has been offered in sacrifice. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Not to mean your conscience, but his. To reject few food at a, at a table, like I said, the, the, imagine the picture. You're sitting around the table. To reject food at, a ta- at the table in a culture where hospitality is everything. It's an honor-shame culture. Look, seriously, if I came over to your house tomorrow where we have lots of freedom around this, and you said, here, I made this special meal for you. It's got, you know, onions and lots of broccoli. And I was like, ugh, no. No, what if I put kale in? No, I'm not, it's not going to help. No, I don't want it. You'd be like, what a jerk. I worked so hard and I made this. Okay, that's in our culture. Can you imagine doing that in a culture where honor or shame is a big deal? Hey, this was offered to an idol. Yeah, I'm not going to eat it here. The whole table would be like, whoa, wait, what? Why why don't you want to eat that? But do you do see what's happened? Paul's argument here is, do you see what's just happened? By identifying yourself as someone different than what they are, and by saying, look, following Jesus is an all-in kind of thing. It's a full allegiance kind of thing. You don't dabble with idols and follow Jesus. 
Now you've got an opportunity to sit at the table and explain to them what real faith in Christ looks like. Yes, but they'll be offended. And you don't want to give an offense. Yes, but that's not the offense he's talking about. The offense would let him think, oh, Christianity is something you can be worshiping an idol and worshiping Jesus at the same time. This means that Christians are going to have to reject social expectations from time to time when going along muddles the water, muddies the water, excuse me, regarding what it means to follow Jesus. Not going along provides opportunity to speak about the gospel. So let's just get real practical. This last week, uh, maybe a week ago now, the Grammy Awards were on. And if you saw online, there was this uh, really controversial segment of the Grammy Awards where one of the artists got up and he, he actually did a worship acts to Satan. It was uh, dressed all in red, kind of the stereotypical picture of the devil. And they were performing fake sex acts around him. And they were, I mean, it was, a, it was a worship app to Satan. Now, listen... Um, there were a lot of Christian people in the crowd. I, I know that. I know that there were some people who wrote Christian music and all. They were, in the, they were in the crowd at the Grammys. And they're sitting there. And they're watching this go on. Okay? Are they free to stay? Well, yeah, of course. They're just moving around, guys. Seriously. It's the, it's, they're dressed in red and they're just doing twirls and stuff. And it's Whatever. Satan is a defeated enemy. This is stupid. Are they free to stay there? Yeah, of course. They can stay there, shake their heads, and go, this is ridiculous. What if the people in the room, though, interpreted their staying there as an acquiescence or an endorsement of, oh, this is just fine. My Christianity is the kind of Christianity where I can both incorporate this and enjoy it and talk about, well, it, you know, I might not have agreed with it, but you know what? It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful act. What if they think, oh, that's what real Christianity is. It's the kind of thing where you love Jesus, but you love the Jesus who loves Satan worship. What should you do? Yeah, you go, I'm out of here. But everyone will lose their minds. You'll be in the news. Yeah. And they come forward to you and they say, why did you do this? What do you get to say? Well, you get to say the same thing. That a couple weeks prior, a hockey player got to say. Because his team was going out on the ice for their warm-ups in their pride jerseys. And he was like, yeah, listen, can I just stay in the locker room? I'm not going to go out and ride, do the skating around in my pride, pride jerseys. It's just, I'm... I'm, I'm uh, Roman Orthodox, I mean, uh, excuse me, Russian Orthodox, and I, I, it's not against my religion, and I listen, I respect everybody's right to go and do that. You guys go do that. That's your thing. I'm going to come out later. So he does. His coach says, that's fine. You come out later. He gets onto the, to the ice. He plays the game. After the game, nobody asked him how great the game was and how they won. They said, why didn't you come out during the skate in your pride jersey? And he said, listen, I, I have regard for everyone. Everyone has the right to do whatever it is that they want. I'm not here to tell them or, or order them around in any way. But when it comes to me and my commitment to my God, I am going to follow his, his law, even if it means that some people take it the wrong way. What? What are you talking about? Goes on the news. People were crying and all angry. See, you hate everyone. He kept saying, no, I don't hate everyone at all. Here's what I meant by it. And he gets to talk about the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. One more. So somebody, you meet, you meet somebody and they have decided that they don't want to go by what's clearly their biologically driven pronouns. Are you free to use the pronouns that they choose for themselves? Yeah, you are. But what if the person who is using those pronouns and insists that you use them wants you to be the kind of Christian 
Or yes, I love Jesus, but I'm, I'm a realist when it comes to the culture. And so I'm kind of trying to absorb in my belief in Jesus the belief actually that you get to determine your own reality and that you weren't you know, knit together in your mother's womb and that God isn't sovereign over all the things and that you're made beautiful in, in his image. So yes, I believe in Jesus, let's put that to the side, but I'm going to hold this viewpoint simultaneously. You know, I can worship the gods of our culture and I can worship Jesus at the same time because that's the kind of Christianity they want you to have. That's the endorsable kind. Everyone will cheer you. But do you see what Paul's saying here? If that's the way they're gonna understand it, man, I think you, probably, you might wanna say, I don't, I love you, man, but because I love you, I, I can't agree. And here's why. Well, they might never listen to you again. Yeah, you do know, of course, that God grants repentance, right? God opens eyes of the blind. What are we to do? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Your job isn't to lie, isn't to play PR. Your job, my job, is to tell the truth. Lovingly, deliberately, clarifyingly, Tell the truth. I said there were four. I'm going to leave it there. You can text me for the fourth one. It's awesome. Let me pray for you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace. Father, I'm thankful that uh, you, you urge us. So some uncomfortable stuff. It's hard to live in a, in a wider society, in a culture that is so uh, against you. So one of the biggest questions that we have is how do we, how do we live in the world but not of it? So, Lord, I pray. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that you would grant us eyes to see how to do that and hearts that are willing to do it and... Father, that perhaps uh, through clarification of the gospel for people that you, you would actually draw them to you. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for how we can bless them by using our freedoms. We thank you that we, we serve you in a way that uh, there aren't nitpicky details about everything, but we are free in Christ. I pray, Lord, that that freedom be used in love and that that love ultimately, Father, would clarify the gospel for all around. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbiblechapel.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.